0: Veritas, it's good to be back. This morning, last weekend I was speaking at the Veritas Cedar Rapids men's retreat and um, I got to yeah speak to the, the men of Veritas up there and it was at this camp in northeast Iowa. Just a, a powerful time. Um, together with those guys but I missed last week and I hate missing church but I got caught up on Jeff's uh, message and I, I saw that he, he kept the, um, the far side theme going to introduce the messages and so again that, that went over uh, yeah like a lead balloon that just didn't land very well but, but we're, we're keeping it I just felt like this week we needed something um, I think it's Eric Larson that does the far side um, this week since those have been not going over so well. Um, I decided to do this cartoon that God made. Okay, now this cartoon. Okay, this this photo actually won um, like best best nature picture of the year in China or something. It was taken in China, and doesn't it look like a, a scene from a Disney movie or something? Like the fox and the marmot, uh, little hedgehog get about to get taken down and. This is basically the sermon in a picture. So just take a look. All right, that's what we're talking about this morning. All right, so we're gonna be in Titus 1. You can take that down. And if you have a Bible, you can follow along. This is Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. And this is God's word that that we're about to read. Here it is. For there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. One of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, Rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. To the pure, everything is pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. They claim to know God, but they deny him by their works they're detestable, disobedient and unfit for any good work. So we're going through this little epistle, this letter that was written to this church leader named Titus and he's at the he's on this island of Crete and we have seen in the past couple weeks that the theme of this book, he's talking about the truth that leads to godliness and how we need the truth to straighten out some things that are crooked in the church. Last week, Jeff talked about needing these leaders in the tr- church to refute those who contradict the truth of God's word. So he, the, the text this morning in verse 10 begins with the word for. So it's a continuation of that theme and Paul explains why he's writing. He says, for there are many rebellious people. There are many rebellious people, not just a couple, but in the church, it's been infiltrated with a lot of rebellious people. This reminds us of what Jesus said in Matthew seven fifteen. Remember his famous Sermon on the Mount. He said, be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravaging wolves. Jesus, be on your guard. Be on your guard. Because in the church, there are gonna be these wolves, but they're dressed up as sheep. So here's the predicament that we find ourselves in this morning, Veritas. Let me, let me tell you a little story to kind of illustrate the tension that we should all feel. So one of my best friends has a cabin up in Minnesota. And we would go there um, as kids. We'd go there for his birthday, uh, which was in July. And I remember one summer I was there. I was probably maybe eight or ten years old. And we'd just gotten done water skiing. And, and we'd come in. And there was this dog on a chain, and it was a pretty, pretty big chain that was, this, this dog was chained around a tree. And I walked up to the dog and, and I remember thinking, man, this dog has really tall legs and really big ears and a nice poofy tail. I've never seen a dog like this. And so I went up to pet this dog and my friend's like, no, don't pet him. Stay away from him. It's not a dog, it's a wolf. Their neighbor had a pet wolf and they just kind of came over to hang out and just chained the wolf to the tree. And a bunch of kids like me uh, around here, well as time went on the years went by these, these people had the wolf and they kept it in, you know, I'm sure in, in a cage or in the house or whatever. And Every once in a while the wolf would get loose and dogs started disappearing around the lake. One incident even happened while someone was on a walk with their dog and was taken out by this wolf. Every once in a while my friend's mom, so this this is Sally, Sally kufal she would get a call from the neighbor, our wolf is on the loose again. Let us know if you find it. One day, all the grandkids were visiting. All the grandkids were visiting Grandma Sally. Grandma, Grandpa Jim, Grandma Sally. And there are tons of kids. The Kufals Falls have a bunch of kids who had a bunch of kids and there are grandkids everywhere. Grandma Sally gets the terrifying call. The wolf is loose. All right. I'm going to finish the story at the end. You're going to have to wait till the end to get the end of the story. But this is the tension of Titus 1. It's like we're getting a call this morning from the Apostle Paul saying, hey, Veritas. Oh, oh, here, Paul's on the phone on, let me put you on speaker. Hey Veritas, the wolf is on the loose. Remember that wolf that looked like a dog? It's not a dog. And it's actually like roaming around your church right now. That is the situation. Paul is saying the problem are these rebellious people in the church. Jesus calls them wolves in sheep's clothing. So Titus 1 answers two questions. Because we're asking the question, so, so what do we do? Okay, Paul, what do we do? What do we do? Two things, w- two questions we need to, to answer. And this is what our text answers. Number one, what, what does this person look like? How will we recognize this person? Question number two that he answers in our passage this morning is, what do we do about these people in our church? Like once we can identify them, like what do we do about it? All right, so that's where we're going. Now, let me clarify something um, through a picture. I was thinking about this picture this week because we have to be clear about who we're talking about. So let me illustrate this. There are three kinds of people in the world. This may be a little reductionistic, but let me just (laughs) say, there are three kinds of people in this world, okay? Person number one, okay, this is the person that is over God's word. This is the person Now, by them being over God's word, let's just say they disregard God's word. It's their kingdom come. They are in charge. They dictate what's true. They dictate their own purpose, their own meaning for life. Um, They are clearly in rebellion against God. Now, it's not covert. It's not secretive rebellion. This person is a wolf, but they're not dressed in sheep's clothing. They're just not even pretending to be a Christian or a spiritual person. I mean, this person, um, yeah, they're just like overtly secular, irreligious. They don't want anything to do with God. Does that make sense? Okay, wolf, person number one. Person number two is sheep. This is a Christian. This is someone who lives their life in submission to God's word. This is a person who orders their life under the authority of King Jesus. So this is the person who prays, your kingdom come, your will be done. They read the scripture and they don't try to bend it to their will and to their life. No, they let this book shape their thinking and their living. That's the third, that's the second person. Now, the per, we're not, this is, okay, this is the third person in the middle. This is the wolf in sheep's clothing, this is the person whose opinions are kind of equal with God's word. Does this make sense? So they have opinions and notice how they're on the left. So their kind of ideas come before God's word. So this is the person. It's crazy because God agrees with everything that they believe, right? So, this person is equal to God in authority. They interact with God's word. They talk about God's word, but they're not really under its authority. They kind of can make it mean whatever they want to for their purposes. Okay, now, the last thing we're going to. This is the person we're talking about this morning. Does that make sense? This is the person. This is someone in the church who's claiming. To be a Christian or a spiritual person or someone who believes the truth. It's not the wolf on the left. It's the wolf in sheep's clothing. This is the person that we're talking about this morning. So does that make sense? Uh, because if, if you're thinking about, okay, that person on the left in the world, uh, you, you're going to kind of miss the point of this sermon. This is for this person in the middle. So we're going to describe What does this person look like? How can we recognize that person? All right, well, let's start in, as he says in verse 10, he calls him rebellious. The first thing about this person is they're a rebel. What's a rebel? A rebel is someone who opposes an established government. In this case, this person opposes Jesus' government called the kingdom of God. The the thing that he s- describes, he says, he says that these people reject the truth. This is one of their ha- hallmarks: is they reject the truth. So one of the questions is, where is this person's ideas in relationship to God's word? So when you're talking to this person, it's like they have a lot of opinions. Um, and you might ask him the question, so where did you get those ideas? Well, it, they just came up with them, right? Or there's some uh, cultural ways of thinking or religious ways of thinking. But they kind of just are in the process, maybe saying your kingdom come. But in practice, they are rejecting God's word. They're rejecting the truth. That's how Paul describes them. Look at verse 10, the second part. He describes them as full of empty talk. Full of empty talk. Here's the thing you need to know about this person. If this person is full of talk, Paul's, I think what he's saying here is, these are very gifted, compelling communicators. These people are selling books like hotcakes. These people have a ton of followers on Twitter and Instagram. These people have podcasts that everyone's listening to. These are like mainstream predominant voices. You might turn on the TV and these people are holding the Bible and they are preaching so-called Christianity. But Paul says it's empty. They're full of empty talk. And verse he, he describes them again in 10. He says, empty talk and deception. Now, here's the thing, here's the bummer about deception. The thing that stinks about being deceived is that you don't know you're being deceived. That's why they call it being deceived because you don't know, right? So that is the tricky part about this. And he says that these people are, Those from the circumcision party, the circumcision party. Now, I'm not going to get into that. Um, I'll leave Pastor Jeff to describe circumcision and everything that goes along with that and why, but we don't know exactly what the false teaching was, but here's what we know. They were smearing religion and Christianity over their deception, It's like there's this deception and they just like kind of smear it with Christianity and Jesus and the Old Testament. And he he calls it Jewish myths. So they took a bunch of passages from the Old Testament and they would kind of string them together to make their point. Likely there was some legalistic control issues. Some of you guys have been... In churches where leadership kind of uses um, these, what we call legalism, or these adding rules to the faith to kind of keep people in check, and oh, you, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't taste that, you shouldn't touch that, you shouldn't do this. And it becomes very controlling and manipulative. False teaching, it's like rust. Think of rust. The thing about rust is, rust can't exist on its own, right? Rust requires steel to attach itself to. So it's a corruption of something good. It takes something good and pure like steel and it corrodes it, it corrupts it. That's kind of what this deception and false teaching is. It, false teaching requires true teaching. False teaching requires truth And it just is a corruption of something good. Now think of it this way. The greatest lie in the world. Like think about the most hellish lie in the world. How far is that lie from the truth? The greatest lie in the world is probably like a millimeter away from the truth. It's truth, with a twist. Think about this, if I tell you this morning, Veritas, we have no creed but Jesus. Some of you might be tuned in like, yes, that's it. I'm getting on, I'm going to Twitter with that one. No creed but Jesus. Doesn't that sound so good? Can you see how that could be a corruption of truth? Or if I say, you know, Veritas, listen, our theology boils down to two words. Everything that you need to believe about God and about your faith really comes down to two words. Love wins. Isn't that so good? Write that down. Love wins. Tweet that one out. That just, that is good. And I, I mean... That's so appealing, like who doesn't believe in love and who doesn't want love to win? Like you can't refute that, you can't say you're wrong. Cause if you oppose that, like you're opposed to love, right? And you're opposed to love winning. Like you want love to lose? Okay, I, that's true-ish. Okay, what about this one? I'm spiritual, but not religious. Man, that sounds, I want some of that because who wants that old time religion and, you know, I mean, everything with abuse and the church and holy wars and, I mean, I want to be spiritual but not religious, right? Doesn't that sound like it's true-ish? You don't have to go to church to be a Christian wow, that's like kind of true, right? Kind of true, kind of not. Do do you see what we're talking about? Um, So many false teachers that I've heard, you could agree with most of what they're saying. There's so many false teachers that I'm like, Man, I agree with like 95% of what you're saying. But maybe it's the stuff you're not saying. Maybe it's the stuff you're emphasizing and ignoring other things. Well, the bummer about deception, you don't know you're being deceived. If Satan were here this morning, would you notice him? Like, it's not like he, he I can't fit in through your doors because my, my horns are, are getting in the way, Right? He's got a cape on and this, like he's painted in red, right? No, like you wouldn't notice him. I get the idea that a wolf in sheep's clothing actually looks like a sheep. It's not like you can see the zipper in the back, like the kid's costume, right? And his ears like popping out of the costume. No, like this, this is the thing that Paul is warning about deception. Look at 11, verse 11, the second part. He, he says these, These false teachers are teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. Oh man, usually behind the deception, there's a money trail, isn't there? Always a money trail. Hmm. They don't care for the sheep, they use the sheep. Sheep are good for business, right? If you're selling something this morning, this is a great place to be because, man, we've got tons of relationships and networks and, man, you could really get a rocking business going in this place, right? Or especially if you get into leadership. I mean, people give their money and we tell people to tithe and be generous and, you know, sheep love always trust. And so people, they, they give generously and they trust people. Man, sheep are, are good business. That's, these false teachers are gaining money dishonestly. Look at verse 12. Paul says, yeah, one of their very own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This guy Epimenides in about 500 BC coined this, I don't know if he was a a poet or a prophet, but he he wrote this about Cretans. In fact, The Greek word kretizo means to cretize, To make someone like a Cretan means you're just a liar. You're deceiver. And so these people had crept into the church. I mean, it'd be like if we got our own verb, to Iowa city eyes. I don't know what that would mean, but uh, just party, have a good time. I don't know what Iowa city eyes would mean. Uh, But but this town, like, this island got their own verb that that was like usage in throughout the the Greek language which just means to lie look at verse 15 he says to the pure he gets into this thing to, he ends here to the pure everything is pure but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure in fact both their mind and conscience are defiled so this likely has to do with a reference to food regulations so to the pure, everything is pure. Do you remember when Jesus declared all foods clean? Remember Peter in the book of Acts. Um, and if you're new to Christianity, you're like, I, I don't, I don't remember any of that. There was unclean food. Yeah, in the Old Testament, there are like dietary laws, laws relating to like you can't eat pork. And so, Jesus declared all foods clean. So, so uh, good news. Jesus is here. You can eat anything. To the pure, all things are pure. Right? But these false teachers were going back and saying, oh, no, 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 no. There's stuff you can't touch. There's stuff you can't taste. Enforcing these special ceremonial cleansing rituals and different things that they were using from the Old Testament. Okay, he says, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, their mind and conscience are defiled. So he's saying false teachers, they're like rotten fruit. But, but it's the kind of rotten fruit that you can't tell from the outside. It's like an apple that looks good and you bite into it and it's just pure mush and it's brown and uh, you're already like, yeah, that's, that's what he's saying. That's what these false teachers, they look good on the outside, but in the inside they're defiled. And then in verse 16, he just ends by saying they're detestable. They're detestable. This word is like to, to cause horror, and disgust. When you think about this, per- these people—Rebecca, um, who is just up here, got back from a conference last a couple weeks ago on sexual abuse in the church. You want to talk about just something that will make your blood just boil with anger and horror and disgust, and it's the stuff that happens the abuse that happens in the church. And some of you um, are victims of that kind of abuse. I I hope for you, may God make Veritas a place for healing and where you can um, find hope in Jesus again, that there are good people and the church when it's done right, is, is a place, uh, is a refuge and a place of healing. And I hope you can find that. But, but just as she was telling some of the stories, I was just so, I, I don't even know the words. It was just horrified, angry. This is kind of what goes into this word, detestable. This is Paul's description of these rebellious people. That's what they look like. Now, the second question is, okay, so what do we do about a rebellious person in the church? If it's true that there are these people inside the church, what do we do about these people? Look at verse 11. He says, it is necessary to silence them. It's necessary to silence them. This is a rare verb meaning to to close the mouth of this person using like a muzzle or a gag, so step one is just simple: turn off their microphone. Don't give them a platform to lead out and to teach. It might be um, don't buy their book, don't don't listen to their podcast. Don't they're compelling? They have interesting things, but that that shred of deception uh, may end up making its way into your soul. I mean. Silence them. I think turn off the mic would be the first thing. But, but step two, verse 13, he says, rebuke them sharply. Rebuke them sharply, I would say, correct them with the scriptures. So confront them with the truth. So, when I was uh, getting started in ministry, this is back in Ames, um, there was a guy. He's actually a friend of mine. He had helped out with youth ministry and he had gotten into some false teaching. Um, I don't know. This is like early to mid 2000s. You know, the internet um, conspiracy theories were were starting to make their way and he had strung all these things together, been on all these blogs and listened to all this stuff and he was began introducing this stuff to his connection group and his connection group was getting so confused by all these Strange uh, theories and, and it was all shrouded in like if you want to be a real christian you 're not going to do this and you 're not going to do that and finally we uh, we pulled this guy aside, and we had our elder team and uh, we had a guy in his 70s and, and some some pastors in their in their fifties and forties and I was in my thirties and and I remember sitting down with this guy, and he handed us like a, a fifteen or twenty page packet with all of these conspiracy theories strung together and he's wanting to instruct us and tell us all the stuff we don't know so that he could open our eyes to it. After about an hour and a half of him speaking and not once listening, we just took him back to God's word and tried to help him see the truth. He had no desire to listen to anything we said, but our intention is what Paul's saying here. This, and this is our attitude as we go to someone who's in error. Uh, He says, rebuke them sharply, why? So they may be sound in faith. Sound is a, is a word for healthy. We are pleading with them to change their mind. Our, our goal is not to kick them out. Our goal is to pull them in. Our intention is not, you're a wolf. It's just like you're a sheep that y- your thinking might be a little off. And, and as they resist the truth, they expose the reality of themselves, right? This pastor once told me they they brought a a group of people uh, to our church and he's like man at our church we don't shepherd the wolves we shoot them and you know as a young pastor i'm like oh yeah (laughs) but those of you that are a little older you're like that is so arrogant you guys you guys smell the arrogance. Uh, you, you know, you, you don't want to be in that pastor's church, right? Because you might get shot and you're not a wolf. But as a young person, I was like, yeah. So it was like, ready, fire, aim, right? And that's, you know, as I was getting started in ministry, um, even planting Veritas in, in 2010 in my early 30s. And there was this family that was... Um, There was a little bit of division going on. And so I was fuming. And so I went to them in anger. I was gonna correct them. And I was gonna, I was just ready to shoot the wolf, right? And I went to them in anger and here's what happened. I ended up exposing my sin, not theirs. So the result of my sin it just made it harder for them to see theirs. And that grieves me because I think the reality is, had I gone to them in this spirit that Paul says of, Man, so they may be sound in faith, this, this longing for these people to just be corrected a little bit to help them stay on the path of truth, maybe they would have been open to listening. That's what we do. We, we speak truth and love. Let me end with three objections. That, As you're listening to this, and, and I don't know if they're objections or as much as at this point in the sermon, you might be thinking three things. Number one, I'm obviously not a wolf. Great message. I hope all the wolves in the crowd heard that. I'm not a wolf. Uh, Wolves don't think they're wolves. So here's the thing to remember about our condition as humans. Our default, when we wake up, when we open our eyes in the morning, our default is rebellion. All of us. Our default is, I was listening to Mikey's podcast, uh, The Grain of Salt, it's great. And one of his guests, uh, his buddy Jake, uh, he, he said, one of the things I hate is when, when someone says after you tell them something, I know, I know. I, I don't want you to think that I've learned something from you. I know, I already know what you're saying. He's like, if you know, just say thanks. Man, thanks for sharing that. That's good, even if you already know it. And if you don't know it, just admit that you don't know it. But, but I just think, guys, we're the people that of all the trees in the garden, we find the one tree we can't have. And we're like, I have to have that fruit. That's in us. Rebellion is our default. So I think the question here is not, well, I'm not a wolf. The question we need to ask as we see this is, in what area Do I struggle with rebellion? Oh, you want to know what area I struggle with rebellion? The stupid road closed sign out here. How many of you pulled up to that road closed sign and are like, no, the road is not closed. It's finished. Okay, and there's like a thousand feet between me and the interstate. Right, I, I, that, there's nothing that exposes my rebellion more than a road close sign. Because I'm like, this is ridiculous. Somebody, and I think last week somebody took the signs down. And, and then anyway, someone from the city must have set them back up. But, but I'm just saying, my own struggle, if you're a wolf in sheep's clothing, go out there and tear them down so we can, no, just kidding. Um, oh, you guys. I struggle, I'm a pastor and I struggle to like be in the word daily. And so I have the audio Bible and, and I'm pretty good about listening to it. But I realized after being in this text, like, man, I really need to actually be meditating on the word and not just like letting it hit my ears, but letting it co- in my heart and mind long enough that it can correct my thinking, because, you know, if, if you're somebody who's like, well, you're sitting there and you're like, I'm not a wolf, I have no problems. Well, when's the last time you opened the Bible? Because that's like someone who hasn't seen themselves in a mirror for like three months and they're like, I look great. <laughs> we need to be a people that gets in God's word and lets it correct us. All right, objection number two. Titus 1 is for leaders in the church. I'm not a leader, so this doesn't apply to me. Man, great talk. Kind of like last week Jeff's talk on leaders in the church. Man, I hope we have great elders, but you know, I'm not a leader, so this this doesn't really I'm not a wolf, not a leader, so this doesn't really apply to me. All right. Everyone in this room is a leader of something or someone. Do you have any siblings? Older, younger, you have the opportunity to be a leader in your family. Are you a mom or a dad? Well, you're a leader. You are a shepherd and you have some sheep. And they are counting on you to protect them. This is part of your job. So, are you in truth? Are you training your kids in truth? Do you understand what they're being trained in and, and helping them navigate those things? Have you ever uh, invited someone to church and, and someone in your life that you're sharing the gospel with or trying to tell about Jesus and you're thinking, man, I hope I can just get them to Mark or one of the leaders in the church that can really articulate the gospel. No, you're a leader, You can be the one to guide them into truth. You don't have to know the whole Bible inside and out. You can just take them to Jesus and and God's word. Are you in a connection group? Somebody in the connection group says something that's true-ish, but probably needs a follow-up conversation. You're a leader. You don't have to just hope the leader follows up with coffee. You can be the one Say, man, I would really love to talk to you about that. I just was curious about it. And meet up with them, talk to them. Are you in salt company? Someone on your dorm floor that's claiming to be a Christian, somebody that you know is gonna come up and they're walking up to take communion and their life is a total fraud, right? It's like they model on the weekends, they have no desire for Jesus and yet here they come to communion. And maybe you can be the one to just follow up and say, hey, I would love to talk to you about this. Because if our communion does not involve repentance and turning from sin, then it's not communion we're taking. It's just juice and bread. What about being a connection group leader and someone in your group's like, yeah, I disagree with all the stuff we're talking about in Titus, totally disagree. Oh, maybe... You can ask this question, wow, that's an interesting thought. Where did you get that idea from? All right. Objection number three. Well, this sounds too intolerant, too confrontational, too judgmental for me. I just, it's not for me. What you're describing, it's just, it's not for me. Too judgmental. Let me just land by giving us um, kind of a vision of what this could look like. To become this kind of person, what that would look like. Um, You know, tolerance. We want to be tolerant people. Tolerance is accepting people with different opinions. Like, remember the person on the left, that wolf that's like totally over God's word? We can accept those people. We can love them. Doesn't mean we approve of everything they say and we affirm everything, but we can accept their opinion and they're, thankfully we live in a country where people have died for them to have the right to have that opinion and we wanna respect their right to believe those things. That's tolerance, that's good. Person number three who's, who's under God's word, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need tolerance toward each other because guess what? None of us, is 100% in all of our doctrine. Like I have beliefs that I'm sure are not exactly God's beliefs. There are some errors that, that all of us have, right? None of us are God. And so there's a humility that we have to have toward each other and a love. But is it love if we tolerate greed in the church? Is it love if we tolerate false teaching in the church, sexual immorality in the church? Is it love if we tolerate sexual abuse in the church? Is it love if we turn a blind eye to unrepentance and false teaching? My role model for speaking truth in love is Jeff Dodge. Jeff Dodge, um, he gets up here about every other week and I'm telling you, that guy is like my model for what it looks like to speak the truth in love. I could tell you story after story of him like correcting me on things and they're so hilarious. Now that, you know, if I could tell you about them. um, But it's always in love. Let me end the story that we started with. The Kufal family, had a golden retriever. Man's best friend. Don't you? Just golden retrievers, aren't they um, just, I don't know. I We have a, a, what do we have? A labradoodle. He he looks like a golden retriever, but he's harmless. He's not gonna hurt anybody. Golden retriever, I mean, this golden retriever, his name was Bo. He was the sweetest thing. Well, Grandma Sally gets the call. The wolf is on the loose. Grandkids are out. Well, guess what happened? The wolf came by. And Bo, the golden retriever, the sweet golden retriever, ran flying out of the house, got between the wolf and the kids. And... Grandma Sally says she had never seen anything like it. He hunched his back. You could see all of his teeth. And he growled the most fierce growl you could ever imagine. And he just went into protection mode. It's like he put himself between the wolf and the family. Enough time to get all the kids in the house. And this sweet golden retriever protected the family from the wolf. Jeff dodges like Bo, the golden retriever. (laughs) I've seen Jeff get between the wolf and the sheep. There was actually a time in Salt Company where a guy stood up and started yelling at Jeff and you're false teaching and you're, you know, and Jeff calmly comes down pulls the guy aside, and it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. Veritas, if we're going to be the church, we're going to have to be a people who speak the truth in love. We're gentle, but we love truth too much to not defend it. Let's pray together.